0: The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, This morning I mentioned previously in previous sermons that there was going to be three parts to this love series and today we finish up part three of three of love. John really jumps around in different places in the book of 1 John and he comes back to this idea of love And he started to unpack it in chapter 2, if you were with us. He revisits it in chapter 3, and now in chapter 4, he wraps it up and finishes up. And each time, John is attempting to reveal more and more about the nature and form and function of love in in the life of a person. And each time we learn more about it, we learn about its self-sacrificial nature, we learn about uh, how it functions with, with others, how it's a mark of our own spiritual maturity when we do love and are generous with others. And the question is, as I've encountered this passage this morning, is what more can John say about love that, that already has not been said already in his previous passages? And it's in this last verse that I really want to start uh, the last verse in this passage then kind of work our, our way up. And so let's look at chapter uh, 4, verse 21 again. This brief verse is, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God, must also love his brother. And so that is the big idea, that's the big commandment. If you love God, you should love your brother or sister in Christ. You should love others. And we've we've visited this commandment before. We've seen this before. That's nothing new for us if we've if you've been with us going through this series. And think about this picture. Because here's the problem with this command. If you love God, you should love others. The thought that comes to my mind is, well how how does that happen? How do we make that connection? I know I should love God, I know I should love others, but what's the relationship between the two, and how then do I do that? Uh, imagine if I came to you and said, here is, here is a canvas, and here is a bunch of paint and paintbrushes, now, now paint a masterpiece. Here are some seeds, there's a bunch of dirt, now, now plant a, garv- a, a, a garden. It can be difficult, the qu- a natural question is, okay, I get the idea, but how do I do that? How do I actually put it into action? How does what I have transfer and connect with what I'm supposed to do? And that's what I think John is getting to. He's answering that question for us this morning. How does the fact that God loves me result in me loving others? It's a great question. And I'm glad you're asking that question. Because we're going to answer that, and, and this passage is about answering that question. It creates the connection between God's love for us and our love for others. In order to understand these things um, and answer this question, I want to see two primary things that he reveals in our passage. One is that God's loving nature is shared with us through the new birth. In becoming a Christian and trusting in Jesus, there is something new that happens within us, something supernatural, the love of God indwells us, and we become, as the Bible says, a new creation. We become born again. And the second thing is that God's actions show us the undeniable expression of his love. And so let's look first at these, at these. Let's look first at his loving nature, that God's loving nature is shared with us through the new birth. Verse 7 and 8 that were read, Behold, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. You've you've heard this probably uh, before. If you've ever spent a a moment in in church, you've probably heard that phrase, God is love. And we use it all the time. We talk about it to describe uh, how we ought to love others. And John here is describing one of the most beautiful things that happens when a person becomes a believer in Jesus. When a person puts their trust and hope in Christ, there's something amazing that happens within a person. God's nature becomes our nature. We share in the actual divine nature of God. His life becomes our life, and His love becomes our love. There's something that changes within us that that can only be described by God exporting something that He has into our life. God's love is God's most precious export. It is our most amazing import that we receive from Him. And don't we, don't we love things that are imported? Aren't things more valuable or more precious or more amazing when things are imported? Hey, I got this new wine. Where would you get it from? Sonoyda. Oh, well. well, here's a 20-year-old bottle from Italy. Oh, yeah, that's, that's what I want. There's well, something that makes something so spectacular and breathtaking is, is hearing that's, that something is not from here, that it's, it's from somewhere else. If someone's house is amazing and and beautiful and and there's a lot of uh, luxury that has gone into a house, often people love to share where they got each thing from. Like this this tile was imported from Italy. This this wood was you know imported from you know Sri Lankan driftwood or something. I, I know it looks just like a box, but but knowing where you got it from, that 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 story, that that meaning, it, it breathes life into it. This this fine china is from. Well, China, and we we love imported things. So isn't their their value? There's an added, there's an added beauty knowing that there's something from from beyond us that has come to become ours, and we possess it and receive it and have it. And God's love is like that. He, it's an export of His. It's we cannot naturally love as God desires us to love, but He gives us His nature, His love, and His life. And this love of God is is not like those other things that I was talking about, in the sense that it's just this object that whenever we want to show people it, whenever we want to take it off the shelf, whenever we want to use it, we we take it down and we exercise love. It is so much more than just a mere possession, but it's something that we actually live life through. It's not something that we just have. We don't just have the love of God, but we live our lives through the love of God. It's a great thing to have the love of God, to possess the love of God, like having a, a precious stone or an item that is very valuable but we're to go beyond just having god's love we're to live through it we're to to live his life and and live out his nature that dwells in us we're supposed to live out that character and nature of god and there's something just beautiful that happens in the life of a person when they do trust in christ he says that his nature becomes ours you know we often try to maintain a behavior or uh Maintain a good character, or be that person we want to be, and be a be a loving person. We can often wake up in the morning and say, "I just I need to be a more loving person." But we should rather have an attitude of, "I w- I need to abide in the love of God, and live through that love, so that I can then exercise and manifest that love for other people." Oswald Chambers, who's he's written um, a pretty popular daily devotional. Um, he says this concern over our personal holiness causes us to focus our eyes on ourselves and we become overly concerned about the way we walk and talk and look and and what this passage doesn't mean it doesn't mean that we should not be concerned with our personal holiness we should not be concerned with how we are doing but it does mean that when we wake up each day when we are attempting to right a wrong behavior or adjust a wrong attitude and be that better person that we want to be And we do all of those things without drawing from the power of God's love and his presence in our life. The result is either shame or pride. If we fail at it, we feel just dejected and shameful and we're like, I knew it, I'm a horrible person, why can't I get it right? Or we become extremely prideful, we say, I knew I could do it. See, I tried and I did it and I I hit a home run, I I became that better person I wanted to be. And it's just so self-focused. Pastor John Piper says, love is from God the way that heat is from fire. Where there is fire, there's always heat. Where there is God, there is always love. Because it is his nature. God is love. It is part of what it means to be God. And that is why these words are so bold from John. It says, how can we say that we have God and we do not love? We're a liar if we say that we love God and yet do not love God do not love others because love from God is like heat from fire. if it's present then it will be manifested. So what John wants to communicate to us is that in the new birth this aspect of the divine nature becomes part of who we are. God's nature is love. God is love and we share in that nature in the new birth. Christianity is a real, A real connection with the divine. And I want you to really grab onto that, chew on that, really understand that Christianity is not just a a system of belief, a system of, of behavior, or even attitude or understanding. It's not a box that you check off and say, yes, I'm a Christian, but it is a sharing in the divine nature of God. His love becomes ours. And and there's something of God in us that when we become a Christian, we, without this connection, we're truly powerless. We're powerless to really love love people the way that we are supposed to. We can't love God without the connection. We can't love others without the connection of the new birth. His love becomes ours. His life becomes ours. So then, to love God is not to Watch how God loves and then copy it. Look at God, do the same. And that's, I think, often how we view loving others. Okay, I know I'm supposed to do this. God told me to love. He is loving. He's a great example. Now I just need to be like him. But he's saying, watch how God loves, absorb it, embrace it, depend on it with your very life, digest it so much that, that everything you feel and speak and do is consistent with the person whose life has been changed as God desired it to be changed. Live and manifest the life that is in you. The best, we, where we best connect God's love to loving others only when our focus is not on that love, but it's on abiding in God's love. And this expression of God's love, as John continues in his passage, he talks. He says well, there's an undeniable connection, there's an undeniable expression. What is it, what, how, in what way has God expressed his love towards us? And that's our second point, that God's actions show us the undeniable expression of his love. Let's look at verses 9 through 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What evidence, what evidence do we have that God loves us? God gave his only son for us. If we're unsatisfied, and I've, I've mentioned this to, to others before, if, if we're unsatisfied, if the love of God doesn't do it for us, if, if knowing that Jesus died for our sins, if that expression of God's love doesn't, affect us, then every other l- lower expression or less expression of the love of God in our life is going to be ineffective in changing our heart and communicating His love for us. It's going to be ineffective. There is no greater expression than that God gave His Son for us. And if we understand that, if we understand what it really means that God gave His Son for us, to die for us, to be a propitiation, to cover up our guilt, then I think it helps avoid all the the misunderstandings that we have about God's love all the time. When when God is silent, when we're praying to him and he doesn't answer our prayers, we might imagine that God doesn't care for us. When something bad happens in our life, we might imagine that he's angry at us and he's withholding something from us because he's punishing us. But when we truly understand that he loves us, we can look at Jesus without hesitancy and say, oh my God, how you must love me. And the rest of Scripture makes sense. When we see that God isn't responding to us, we, we believe that it's not because he doesn't care, but it's because he is kind and his wisdom is beyond our wisdom and he understands what we don't understand and he sees what we do not see and he loves us. And we do not become suspicious of his acts towards us. What did God mean by this? What is he trying to teach me? Is he trying to correct my course? Is he punishing me? Does he not like me the way he liked me yesterday? We wonder so much. We become insecure. What does God feel about me? But if we stand firm on the fact that God loves me because he gave himself for me when I didn't deserve it, then everything else falls into place. And in John's mind, the the greatest manifestation of God's love, the best example, the best proof of His love is that God sent His Son into the world. Specifically, to be the propitiation, as He says, for our sins. To remove guilt. To remove the anger that God had for us because He is holy and we are sinful. And He removed that guilt and He placed it on Jesus. That is the greatest example he, he loves us so much that God sent his son to be his anger receiver. That his anger would fall on his son. And God the Father unilaterally removed his own wrath from us by sending his son. Do not fall into the other error of defining love by the way that you love. Do not fall into the other uh, the error by Defining love the way that you like to love others. Well, God isn't loving to me because that's not what I would do to myself. God is, that's not an expression of love because that's not how I would love others. And in verse 11 it says, if you've been loved by God, then you ought to love this way. We've been given the proper form, the proper substance of love, and this is true love. Let's talk about that word ought, because I really like it. I think we should pause on it. You ought to love. You ought to love. You know so much more than the word "ought." Uh, a different word is used in the New Testament when this Greek word is used, and, and the word is most often used as "owe," like a debt that is owed to another person. And, and And think about that by changing that word, for example' sake, to get that meaning to sink in. If you have been loved, if you have been loved this way by God then you owe it as a debt to others to love the same way. Do not owe a man anything, Paul says in Romans, but to love him. We're under this divine obligation of the nature of God that lives in us by faith that we ought to love others as he loved. It is when we lose that connection as God's act of love, as our definition of love, that I believe we, it causes us to fall into different kinds of errors and think different things about love. Have you ever said this or heard someone say this before? I, I love you, I love you, but right now I don't like you. Have you ever heard that? you ever said that expression? In other words, what we're really saying, I think, is that what you are doing right now and the way that you are acting is making it painfully demotivating for me to love you like Jesus. Don't call it love and like. That's a cop-out, I think. Call it what it is. It, we create a, an anti-gospel situation, I believe, in our homes, in our, in our relationships with others, in our workplaces, when we treat people like that. When we say, I love you, but I don't like you. I love you, but, you, but, I, but I'm, I'm having a really hard time <coughs> liking you right now. The, the anti-gospel, what I mean is saying, when you change, when you stop doing what you're doing, when you become something else, then I will fully love you. Then I will fully embrace you. Then I will fully lay down my life for you. Jesus never says, I love you, but you're making it hard for me to love you right now. Instead, he says, while you are my enemy, I laid down my life. While you rejected me, rebelled from me, cursed me, it is then that I pursued you, laid down my life for you, I sent my only son to cover over my anger for you. And this is the the only way that we can understand verse 10. The only way we can understand verse 10 where he says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The removal of guilt. God placed his anger on Jesus so that it would be removed from us. He took responsibility for our faults. He assumed the punishment for all the wrong that we had committed and will commit. He initiated into our life. His love initiated with us. And it does not depend on our response to him. Isaiah 65, the prophet Isaiah says this, speaking for God, he says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all day to rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good. The sacrifice of Christ is Him saying to us and to the world, here I am, here I am. Here I am as your Savior, the one who loves you, The one who does not say, I love you, but I don't like you, change, and then I will love you. The one that says, I have loved you even when you were rebellious against me. He loves us not because we are obedient. He loves us so that we can become obedient. He doesn't love us because we're lovely. He loves us so that we can become lovely. And if we attempt to call anything love, anything at all love, it must find its source and connection in the work of God in Jesus Christ what kind of son was he what kind of son was jesus in verse 9 he emphatically says god's only son and we know that god's only son but i think it it amplifies it amplifies god's love for us you can lose an eye and still have another eye you can it's a tragedy but you have other option there's comfort in knowing that you have a backup you can you can lose something else but there's there's always knowing that well we're it's it's okay we can we can make it up somehow the detail that christ is god's only begotten son as a special kind of description a, a special kind of description to what kind of love he had for us there was no backup plan there was nothing held back there was no consolation he gave and he gave and he gave without any preservation that is how god loves and i want to refer to this story in the old testament Uh, with Abraham, and his conversation with God, and and Abraham, as you may know, he was without child, he and Sarah, his wife, and they didn't have a child, and God promised that they would have a son, and through that son, God's blessing would come, God's promise would come, that God would make them into a great nation, and Abraham said, but I don't have a son, I don't have one, he says, but I'm going to give you one, even though your wife is a hundred years old, she will bear a child, and I will give him the promise uh, that I've promised to you, And it happens. Finally, after many, many years and decades of waiting, Isaac is born to Abraham and Sarah. And here in in chapter 22 of Genesis, here's what God says. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Abraham, your only son, the one you've been waiting for, your only child who will receive my promise to make you a great nation, I want you to give him up. I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to give him to me. I'm taking him from you. And then it goes on in in, in verse 9 we see this unfold when they came to a place of which God had told him Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son but the angel of the lord called to him and from heaven and said Abraham Abraham and he said here am i he said do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him for now i know that you fear god seeing that you have not withheld your son your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. This is a great correlation to the relationship that God has with us and how he expresses his love for us. So many times in that In that chapter and throughout the story of Abraham and his son, we see that this is his son, his only son, who was promised to him, and he was told to give him up. And God provided a way out to spare his son. The ram was sacrificed instead of his son so that his son, God's son, Jesus Christ, would be sacrificed instead of us there is this switch, there is this substitute, there is this change. And it's not dependent on our actions, but on His. And knowing this demonstration of love, knowing how God loves us, we ought to love others. Oswald Chambers again says this, he says, if what we call love doesn't take us beyond ourselves, it's not really love. If we have the idea that love is characterized as cautious wise sensible shrewd and never taken to extremes we have missed the true meaning this may describe affection it may bring us a warm feeling but it is not a true and accurate description of love therefore we understand the entire passage with this simple structure god loves us he demonstrates this love by giving jesus to us dying for us in our place we abide in him, and we share in this new nature that God has given to us by faith as he increasingly dwells in us, as we receive him and trust in him. And lastly, God's life and love flow out of us to others. This is called divine logic. This is, this is the one plus one equals two logic. It's the God loves us, we have God, we love others as God has loved us. We talk to ourselves all the time out of loving others, don't we? The primary reason to love is not because it's the right thing to do. Don't we talk to ourselves when someone's unlovable? We say, I know I need to love this person. I just need to do it. Uh, I'm going to love them even though they don't, you know, I'm just going to love them. Or we talk to ourselves saying, I need to love them because they love me back in return. Our primary reason to love somebody is not because they deserve it, not because we want them to love us back, not because... It's the right thing to do. We love people who are unlovable because we were loved while we were unlovable. Is the love of God fresh for you? Because you've probably heard it so many times. God loves you, and he died for you. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know he loves me. What else? What else? <laughs> what else? Because I need something else in my life because I'm just not... I'm just. I'm not feeling fresh in my walk with God. I'm feeling like in a rut. So, what else is there other than the love of God? He loves me. He died for me. That's awesome. We do that. The love of God becomes so stale, and I, and I hope that it becomes fresh as you as you really meditate on this passage. As you search within your heart and say, "Is the love of God really fresh in my life? Do I really understand that He has loved me and given Himself to me without any reservation? Do I really believe that that in spite of my best efforts and and even in my own rebellion, He has loved me with the greatest expression of love that a, a person can love another person? Do I really believe that, that because I, I trust in Him, that, that He is sharing His nature with me? He's sharing His divine nature, that His life is my life, and I live in Him and as He lives in me. Do I really believe that I've been given this new life to love others? Through sharing in God's nature, you can love people who are difficult to love. You can love people who disagree with you, even though I know it's awesome when people agree with you. They become very easy to love. But because of this divine nature, because of this sober understanding of how we have been loved, we can love people who are different than us, who disagree with us, who really make us angry. We can love people who are making life choices that we don't agree with. We can love people who hurt us. When a Christian loves God out of a genuine belief that this love first came from God, then we are freed up to love people the way we are called to love. Would you pray with me? For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com.